You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashofSteel.com, though increasingly Flash of Steel has become the official blog of Three Moves Ahead, <laughs> considering how rarely I update it. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and you are listening to episode 83. And with me today are my regular panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. It is great to have you back. Did Julian, you, where did have you, you been? miss me? Always. Where have you been? I've been traveling. I've been in. I've been in San Francisco for a couple of weeks, so I got to see all sorts of folks there who said, "Oh, I love your podcast. When are you going to be on again?" So that's that's why I'm back because the band well, want be, me. I'm going to be in San Francisco in a couple of weeks. Maybe you and Rob can do the show without me then. Uh, other panelists is freelance writer uh, and colleague over at Game Shark, Mr. Rob Zachney. Rob. Hey, are we out of beta yet? Time to shut this bad boy down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a reference to the good old games debacle. What the hell was that? Um, just a just an absolute disastrous decision. Yeah, I mean, when I saw the idea, I thought it was going to be some sort of a, it was going to be a reboot. It was going to be a it was a, just a poorly phrased, poorly organized reboot. I mean, what the hell were they thinking? Shock people. Did you see the video that they have with them, like in monks' robes, talking about their revival? That that I will say actually gets funnier the more you look at it. It's it's definitely like the slow motion train wreck effect. <laughs> um, like you're watching it, you're like the, you know, like the, they're, they're apologizing for it, but they're calling each other brother. Um, it's just it's it's incredibly awkward, and you'd think you'd want something like that really scripted, right? But clearly they just like set up a camera in a corner and just are like, all right, let's do this one take. Yeah, not uh, the finest moment for good old games, a service that I still uh, like very much and will continue to use, uh, especially if they bring back some of the SSI back catalog guys, if you're going to acquire that, all will be forgiven. Uh, A few words about last week's show on Victoria 2 that we had with Chris King, Uh, Rob and I interviewed Chris King to talk Victoria 2, and good God, that show blew up. It is became, it is outpaced the Chris Ramos Starcraft show uh, for downloads, which I thought is remarkably insane. Uh, given uh, that it's about Victoria too, yeah, yeah that's, that's Victoria absurd. too doesn't have Chris Ramo, who is you know one of the great, uh, who had one of the great podcasts at Idle Thumbs, very popular, has his own coterie of fans, um, and he plugged the show. Uh, but we got a lot of hits. We're, we we are big in Europe. Every single uh, person who's ever played Victoria or Victoria Two listened to it. All 3,000 of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all of you new listeners, thank you for and welcome to Three Moves Ahead. Um, I hope that uh, you stick around and not just for talk about really wonky strategy games, because tonight's topic is kind of a lighter RTS, certainly lighter than Victoria 2, one that has some really neat design stuff going on, and it's a game that, Rob, you reviewed for GameShark, and this is from Ubisoft and Ugin Systems, or Ugin Systems, or Ugen Systems, or something Germanic, uh, and it is Ruse, uh, with capital R, capital U, capital S, capital E, with a bunch of dots in there. Uh, this is a game that uh, has been even kind of looking forward to. It's a bit of a slow burn. We haven't talked a lot about Ruse uh, in general, except for how cool it is to move things around the touch table at E3. Um, <laughs> so, Rob, since you reviewed it and you really liked it, can you want to give our people unfamiliar with Ruse just the the elevator pitch? What is Ruse? Okay. Um, boy, what is Ruse? Um, okay. The, the, the first thing, you I guess... That, I, you said that and not what is an elevator pitch, because if you didn't know what that was, I have to fire you. 
Actually, what is an elevator pitch? And what's a BBS server? <laughs> um, yes, yes. But no, anyway. Um, I guess the, the simplest way to describe Ruse um, is it's a deception-based RTS um, where you know the, 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 the most important element of Ruse is how information um, flows between the players. Um, there, there's no fog of war in this map. There's no shroud. Um, you know, line of sight is not restricted per se. You can always see the other guy's base. You can always see where his units are moving around. But your information's imperfect, and it can be distorted by ruse cards um, that each player gets at timed intervals. I think, um, I think it's important to point out that you can always see some idea of like you. You always have. You, it always looks like you have perfect information. Right? It always looks like you know, oh, there's a pile of heavies over there behind the hill, and there's a bunch of infantry coming around the corner. But right. it's often not true. Exactly. It's it's incomplete information. You, you know, the, the basic, the rest state of ruse is everyone has incomplete information, um, and it is subject to being distorted. So yeah, you see these, like, chits, and it's a really, this is a really cool aspect of the game, too, is it's designed to look a lot like a game of Axis and Allies um, when you zoom zoom away from the board. So you'll see a stack of those little disc-shaped shaped, uh, chits topped by, say, an infantryman, um, and that gives you an idea of how many units are coming in. But if you don't have line of sight, you don't actually know what's out there. You just see, yeah, this is a group of light units, this is a group of heavy units. Um, but you, beyond that, you have no idea of the composition of that force until you actually see them. And through the ruse cards, you can make it look like things are there when they're not. You can launch decoy attacks. You can also do something like invert intelligence, so someone thinks you're bringing infantry, but surprise, it's a group of heavy tanks. Right, and you can also you can also do all sorts of concealment of your own and discovery of the other person, right? You can actually send guys to go do recon as well. Right, and I, I would say that, you know, one of, the, one of the really neat things about ruse is you know, I mean, it's it's a bit of a Wargamer's RTS, I have to say. Like, I mean, it is so important to have recon units preceding your army anywhere. Um, you need to see as much of the battlefield as possible at any given time. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy, he's going to be trying to flush those recon units out and get his own into your territory. So, you know, the, the first battle in Ruse, before the armies even start, like, really clashing, um, is one of information. Um, and... What I find the the real hook with Ruse is um, all this is all this is done through what I think is probably the best interface I've ever seen in RTS. Like I just absolutely adore how effortless and streamlined uh, Ruse's interface is. How so? Um, I mean, why? What makes it better? Uh, d- describe it, and then explain why it's superior to you know something like well, we know why it's better than StarCraft too, because it's got a crappy interface. Better than say, it doesn't have a crappy interface, Troy. StarCraft II just isn't trying to have a good one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a subtle distinction at best. Right. Um, I stand corrected. Well, the, but the, 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 I mean, I think that I, I agree. I, there, there's a bunch of things I don't really particularly enjoy about Ruse. I do think that the interface, and, and I mean interface in the broad sense of the word, mm-hmm. the way in which you interact with the game is quite brilliant. And, what stands and, out for you? 
Well, certainly the, you know, we, we've had plenty of games that had this sort of idea of infinite zoom, right? I mean, the Supreme Commander series, right? you know, that was one of their big hooks was you could get all the way down into the individual unit and then you could zoom all the way back. But it never really quite worked, right? It always sort of felt like you were actually kind of toggling between sort of the big out mode where you're sort of looking at chits on a board and the deep zoom mode where you might be positioning a specific unit. In Ruse, there really is a sense that you can interact anywhere along that line of information overload, where you can be positioning anti-tank guns so that their line of fire and that is perfect and that they've got maximum range, uh, you know, at the top of a hill. Um, and then just, you know, one click, you know, one minute scroll of the mouse wheel back, you can be positioning, you know, five or six units and then zooming back out even further you can be planning you know truly in the sort of sandbox with the croupier stick style uh sort of pushing big piles of units around and the 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 shift in those different modes of interacting with the game is completely seamless there's no sense at all of now i'm in tactical mode and now i'm in strategic mode right it's it's an interface that i would say it it really eliminates um you know the 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 physical difficulty of controlling an RTS. Like, I find that, you know, with Ruse, um, you know, almost as soon as I as I think something, it's happening in the game. You know, I just click the mouse wheel one notch back, and I get exactly the view I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a click later, I've got exactly the units I want heading to where I need them. Um, and then I'm looking at something else. It, it all happens very quickly. It's not, it's not an interface you ever have to fight, I don't think. Eh. Um, I, I was going to say where I found it to be a bit annoying was in the actual sort of unit selection and positioning. Like I like I, I made it sound ridiculously easy to position your anti-tank guns. Well, actually, if you're really trying to get your four anti-tank guns set up on a ridge and that ridge doesn't happen to be in a line, it can be a bit of a chore because there is no I, I kept longing to actually be able to just pick up the ghost of the unit and angle it exactly where I wanted it and know it would get there perfectly. And that didn't seem to happen a lot. It really doesn't have that kind of fine-tuning, really. It's not yeah. easily fine-tuned uh, for positioning. I mean, you can do it, but it works better for positioning on planes than it does in anything uh, elevated, right. I find. And, and but, to me, the the, the, the fun not part that, not, that game, it's a, not that it's a bad RTS. Not that it's a bad interface at all. I'm just no, 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 no. But, but, but to me, the most fun part of the game is actually at the most micro level. And that's mm-hmm. perhaps why I found that to be somewhat frustrating, because right. that was the part where the interface breaks down a little bit. But... But that's a minor nit in what I think By is a pretty large. elegant design. That's that's interesting because I'm you know it's something maybe I need to play the game more. But I I found that um, I didn't actually find that exact positioning was that important in in this game. Like I played most of it from like um, intermediate zoom and got close occasionally. But what I found was more crucial was um, making sure that the right mixture of forces is at the decisive point at the right time. Now, the game seems to be willing to fudge like where exactly they are placed. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if that 88 millimeter anti-tank gun is you know just at the top of that ridge or if it's like 50 meters farther down that that doesn't really seem to matter um in ruse so what what matters is that the at gun is gun is there at all um so i I didn't find that exact positioning issue that frustrating okay fair enough um but but that that's another thing i did want to bring up was um you know when it comes to bringing your forces where you need them at the right time, um, one thing I really appreciated is just the way um, 
the game has sort of dynamic rally points. So whenever you order up new units, you, you know where you want to send them. You know where they're going to be needed. So you just tell, you know, when you order them up, you place them on the map where they're going to, where you need them to be. Um, and then you can forget about them. You don't, have to, mm-hmm. you don't have to track them after that um, unless you want to change their destination. But once you order the units, they're going to exactly the sector of the front where you want them. Um, and I, just, I really enjoy all these like, hands-off touches. Um, and, and one last thing I should, I should mention about the, uh, the interface is I really love the way at the, at the zoom levels the stacks coalesce and break apart. Um, it, it's very much sort of you know, again, I like to take a Wargamer's view of it. Um, when you've got a huge army massed out there on the battlefield, and you zoom all the way out, it just becomes one huge entity that you can just fling around. Um, one click, it's it's one group. You don't have to have a control group set up. Um, and then if you want to get a little more tactical with it, you can just zoom in and see it You know, represented with greater fidelity. The stack breaks apart into sub-stacks. Um, and it's just... It's, Cool little touches like that that make it really easy to control how much information and f- uh, fine control you have over this game. Uh, I want to talk about the deception thing, because really the deception is really the key to this game, and whether that works, and how different it is uh, versus the computer versus playing against a human. Now, I know you play a lot of multiplayer, Rob, against Tom. Uh, yeah, we played a few games. So I want to get to that, but first I want to talk about the the economy in Ruse, because it is an RTS, and it is an RTS with an economy. Uh, it's not just uh, something like the Blitzkrieg series, where you get your tanks and stuff, and you fight the battle, and you're just stuck with your units. You have to see supply points. Yeah. Uh, you have to well build. A, you have to pay money to own supply points, which have a fixed amount of money they can get. Then you're fighting over the supply points more than anything else to weaken the other person. And the, to get further supply points, you end up running into your opponent. Um, so how many supply points do you buy to start? Um, usually my initial run is like three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, what, what's, what I find more crucial, actually, um, is the distance between your headquarters and the supply point. Yes. Um, so if, if, you know, there's, if there's four available, but one of them is going to be like a minute or two... Uh, to get the supplies from the supply point to my base, mm-hmm. um, that's not a high priority for me. Um, so, like, the real key then is making sure your supply lines aren't too long, uh, because right. those are one very vulnerable. Um, as as you say, one of the one of the key tactics here is to disrupt the other guy's line of supply. So he can control the depot, he can control his base, but if you can get a unit in there on the road between them, you can completely cripple him. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the first thing I look for. It's just you know what's going, what's what's nearby. So did this economy thing work for you? Um, it absolutely did because I think you know the, the way I put it in my review is Ruse isn't an economic RTS. This isn't really a, about um, you know how much money you've got coming in. It's it's rarely about that. It's more about um, how well you take care of your forces. Mm-hmm. And so I found that. Um, you know, Ruse's stinginess with money, by and large, um, led to more considered play. Um, mm-hmm. it, it didn't. When when I lost, I didn't feel, oh man, that guy just that guy just outbuilt me. I never had that feeling. I always had the feeling that I'd been outthought. Julian, how much time did you have with the game? 
Not not enough to be honest. I mean, I put, I played some multiplayer, um, sort of back in the multiplayer beta, uh, and then I've played probably three hours of the campaign. I'm not sure how much more of the campaign yeah. there is. Um, and and honestly, I, I've tried to start a couple multiplayer matches and have had a hard time finding a game. Um, yeah. During the times that yeah. I've wanted to play, I've, I, I yeah. really haven't been able to play except during the day. Uh, right. And and you know, there's been this other strategy game that came out this week that's been occupying a little bit of my time, which we'll talk about some other time. But uh, but you know, as a single player experience, I have to say I've found it a little thin. Um, and I found mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it was perfectly fine as a tutorial. I felt a little bit of ennui at the scenarios. I mean, I, I really at this point don't give a crap about Rommel anymore. Um, you know, I've, I've played that. <laughs> I've I've seen every side of that encounter about forty six times. I don't really need to play it again. Mm-hmm. I found myself like I like the critical distance part of my brain was really appreciating what Ruse was doing. I mean, there's no question that it's gorgeous. It's unique. It's actually trying to do something different in the genre, right. and I appreciate that and want to reward it. I just didn't actually find it all that fun, and I'm having well, actually a little bit of a missing? hard time putting my finger on why. Huh. Well, Rob, you did find it fun. Yeah. Uh, what? Here was here's my issue with the deceit cards in yeah. the single player campaign. Can I fool a computer? Is the computer really responding to the strategies that I'm using in this deception? The whole conceit is I buy cards like I'm going to fake an airfield over here, mm-hmm. and is the computer going to believe that's an airfield? Now, if I did that at the very early game, Rob, you would know that's not an airfield. I wouldn't, actually. Then I would spend my money at the beginning of the game on an airfield, even though I'll be able to save up to get a plane? Yep, I've seen I've seen a lot of weird builds um, in multiplayer. Huh. Um, playing against Tom, I saw some weird builds. Uh, there, well, Tom's there people... done some weird guy. Like He did the, this armored car rush on me, and he said to ask about the armored car rush. But... Oh, God. Um, that's, yeah, that's just uh, cheesy. cheese tactic. <laughs> but it's but it's not it's not it would have been so easy to counter if you just yeah. like done the right thing if you'd identified those units earlier. Yeah. Um, you set up an anti tank. I mean, if uh, I just tell one story here. Yeah. Um, so I was playing a game with um, you know, with with one of my friends, and um, we were we were we, it was a comp stomp. It was you know two of us against two medium computers, and they were both Italian, and the Italians um, like. One thing I really enjoy about this game is they really went into detail about like modeling these armies and sort of what was there, what was their character during the war. And the Italians really don't have tanks to speak of. They're more like armored chassis with machine guns. Um, but my God, they can just swarm you. Um, so we, you know, early in the game, we find ourselves in this, you know, Zerg-like nightmare of Italian armored cars just racing all over the battlefield, disrupting supply lines, until. Um, you know, my friend, he rolled out, he was playing the Soviets, until he rolled out a Yosef Stalin II tank. And it was one Yosef Stalin versus, like, oh God, I don't know, it was like 10 Italian light tanks. And it was like unleashing, it was like unleashing a great white shark in a koi pond. Um, it was just unbelievable carnage. And, and that's how you stop these tactics, is you have to know each, you have to know your faction, and the counters are there. Um, you just you just have to have to know what you're doing and make sure that you know you you use them when it's not too late. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, oh, fair, but, fair, fair enough. I mean, I will say that there, there, there's a lot of detail here, right? I mean, there is a lot of detail. The, the forces do feel very different. Um, right. I do. I mean, Rob, you pointed this out in the piece that you wrote um, uh, for Gamers with Jobs about this. I like the fact that that you know you're seeing the French and you're seeing the Italians on these fields of battles where you might not see them at all in some versions of those battles um, because they're not you know particularly significant strategically. I, I dug that. I mean, I got I, I, I did get that vibe out of it and really enjoy it. I, I think some of my um, some of my sort of lack of you know Yahoo fun with this might actually be, uh, a, a symptom of the elegance of the interface, right? I mean, it is an extremely sparse interface. Most of the game, you're the only thing you're going to see on screen is is maybe uh, a goal counter in the upper right hand corner and how many ruse cards you have in the upper left hand corner and and perhaps a, a timer for some ruse that you have in play. Mm-hmm. And and other than that, there's really nothing going on on the interface on the screen except of the battle unfolding. Uh, and depending on your zoom level, you may be seeing chits or you may be seeing specific uh, specific units. And right. in some ways, that lack of information I've come to expect in playing an RTS, right? There's no uh, there's no little bar over everybody with hit points counting up or down. There's no there's no little stat thing that's I can go look at that's got every unit and I can see exactly what my statistical matchup is. On the one hand, I appreciate the elegance of that, but on the other hand, maybe I just I, maybe I actually want that. Maybe I want to be playing that little statistics game in my head. Um, just one thing: did you know that if you hover over unit and press tab, um, you pull up its detailed info card? Yeah, yeah, you, you can do, but like one unit at a time, you can go around the battlefield and poke at this. And poke yeah, at and that, yeah, but. yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, w- that is one problem with this game is that that info card's incredibly useful, actually, if you're going to like be making sound judgments about what to use at a given time. What's really frustrating is you go into the um, menu, not in the game, but in the main menu, you can go to the unit encyclopedia, and you get a stripped down version of that unit card that just gives right. you like a rough estimation of the efficacy of these units. Um, and that's really unsatisfactory because actually it might look like um, an American heavy tank and a German heavy tank are well-matched. Uh, the odds are very good. They are not. Um, if you, if you actually look at the stats, they have like, they might have a different armor class or something and a different type of gun. Um, and so, yeah, they're both effect. They're both rated highly effective against tanks, but, some are more highly effective than others. And Bruce doesn't make it easy to find that information. I want to get back to this deception thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, we, that we left apart. There is a difference between deceiving a computer, which allegedly has perfect information, but you have to somehow convince not just the co- a computer opponent that can be fooled, but convince me as a player that it is legitimately being fooled, that it is being tricked, and this isn't some script part of a campaign that this isn't some random reaction, do I buy it or do I not buy it? That it is a contact that the AI opponent is making a decision based on the circumstances and deciding this is a plausible threat. My God, he may actually have all these heavy units out there. My God, that might be an airfield. And not just believing everything I do, because a component of deceit is sometimes you have to call me on it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to believe that I'm bluffing. And do you ever get? Did you ever get the sense? Did that... you ever get the sense that the computer is actually? And this is hard to do. I mean, but I can. You can do this as a human. You can easily tell with a human when something's working and something's not because you can watch their behavior and you can see their forced dispositions and how things change. Um, 
with a computer, it's really hard for me to get a sense for when it's being fooled. And not just being lied to. I, mean, I lie to the AI and Civ all the time. They know I'm going to kill them. Uh, the peace treaties are just the order in which I eventually eliminate you. That's all they are. That's how Civ works. That's not quite deceit. That's not tricking. That's just, I'm your friend for now. Ruse is about deceit and legitimate deceit. Rob, you've played more of this than anybody else on this podcast, at least. Did you ever get the feeling there's actual deceit going on with the computer opponent? You know, my answer is at times yes and at times no. And let, let, me, let me clarify. No. Um, there were times I, I felt that the AI responded predictably to Ruse decoy attacks. Um, like during one one skirmish match, it was a comp stomp. We were very hard-pressed, and I launched a fake tank assault against a sector that was away from where we were currently getting demolished, um, just to draw off some forces. And the AI responded, um, and I saw forces drawn off and sent to counter that attack. But the thing is, if I were in the AI's shoes, it had an attack that was going very well, and you just pressed that home, right? right? But to me, it looked to me like the AI has been sort of like conditioned to bite down hard right. on deception tactics. But the thing is, I also saw times when the AI basically ignored deception cards. Um and just, you know, went Because the AI had because the AI hadn't already had too great an advantage and wanted to ignore it, or the AI just didn't have the means to respond to it. Or they thought you were or they thought you were legitimately bluffing. Well and that I mean that I, I can't That's really, that I can't really answer because and I guess here's here's you know one way I can praise the game. I didn't, you know, Bill Abner, when he talks about sports games, right, he's, he's big on pre- predictability. You know, the moment right. the same thing starts working, same play every time, um, the AI's dead. It's, it, it's finished. Mm-hmm. Um, with Ruse, I, I've played a fair bit of comp stomping, and I haven't hit that point. Like, I'm still not sure um, where or how the AI is cheating. I'm not right. sure how prone it is to getting fooled. Um, but I will also say this. When I'm playing the AI, I generally... Um, go with more straight-up effects cards. And that's something we should get into, is that there's right. there's deception cards in Ruse, but there are also um, you know, effect cards that basically... I mean, they're, they're all car- called Ruse cards. Right. But there's some of an immediate effect on the opponent. Right, Ruse. where you can just blanket a sector so that he can't see it. Or right. you can deploy spies to another sector so that you can see that sector. Or you can inspire terror. Exactly. And when I'm playing the AI, because I have serious doubts about my ability to actually fool it and trick it, mm-hmm. um, I tend to use those cards more to block line of sight, deny information, um, and you know give my units bonuses. And on that front, I still feel like the AI is playing fair. If, if I cast camouflage over a sector, the, yeah. AI, the AI clearly doesn't know what's there. Right. So I mean, again, but I, I think with the with the with the deception cards, I mean, I think the AI seems surprising seems to have a surprisingly um, convincing reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's an AI, and right. I, I I don't think I think you play against AIs differently than you do against humans. Right. It stands well as a multiplayer game. And what little time I had with it because of my internet problems. I've tried to connect with Tom many times 
Um, and then until I got the wireless boost, really couldn't. And then we tried again last week, and we connected and played for a bit, and then we kept getting kicked for some reason. Even though my internet's working perfectly now, uh, I'm not sure if it's my Steam hookup or something on his end. It's Tom. So I, it's Tom. When in doubt, blame Tom. Yeah. Well, I will because he's not here and he's never here, uh, so I will blame Tom. Uh, so I didn't get much chance to do a lot of multiplayer. But my experience is that this actually would be a very fast and fun multiplayer game. Um, games don't take matches take go by very quickly, uh, for the most part. They do, and um, I mean part of that is due to the fact that the matches are decided on points, right? Um, and they're timed, so you can actually like. You know, you can you can set the game up for increments of five minutes, so you can sort of adjust it to your yep. needs. And the fact that it's decided on points really lends itself to those quick decisions, right? Like if you're turtling and you lose a few units, um, the other guy's got the lead now. He'll win unless you go and score some kills. Right. So the the game kind of urges you into contact. Well, the battlefields are pretty. I mean, the battlefields, the large battlefields, really aren't as much fun as the small ones. I find. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I like, I like even the large, large battlefields aren't particularly large. I mean, the yeah. game, the game's pacing is, is quite, it's, 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 it's funny because the few multiplayer games I have played have been very quick, but at the same time, they haven't felt rushed. Mm-hmm. It's, the pacing does seem appropriate. So it's not like playing Sins of a Solar Empire in terms of being paced that slowly, but there is a certain, and it's not uh, like StarCraft 2 where you feel like you're immediately under pressure to get exactly, everything done, exactly. done properly and, and, in the first five minutes. It's, right. It's, it's, it's a little bit like playing a, like a, a, just a shorter game, not a faster game. Right. That makes sense. So, Rob, you called this the best RTS of the year so far. Yeah. And you stand by that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I mean, it's... You know, it's one of those things. It's it's really tough. I mean, you got to compare it. To, you got You have to bring up StarCraft Two in this conversation, and it com- it comes down to again, like how you how you weigh aspects of these games. Um, I don't think Ruse is going to have the longevity as a game you study uh, the way StarCraft Two does. Um, you know, StarCraft Two is a game that lends itself to obsession. Uh, but me personally, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to get obsessed with a game. I don't necessarily want to be, you know, climb my way up a ladder match. I want something that, um, you know, can approximate the feeling I get mm-hmm. from a really good board game with friends. Um, and Ruse really fulfills on that score because it, because of that pacing, because it's not just muscle memory and, you know, Routines you've already, you know, routines you've already programmed yourself to, um, you know, to use. You know, I, I find I find the game stays really fresh, and it's actually sort of relaxing and fun rather than the really frantic experience that I'm accustomed to from RTSs. Um, and I will also say this, um, you know, I mean, I'm a war gamer at heart, and right. a lot of RTSs are really about economic management and making sure that resources. And, and this is definitely a war game. This is oh, definitely absolutely. A war game. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, the the economy layer is as thin as the chart by which you figure out how many units you get in Axis and Allies. I think that's an appropriate comparison. Yeah, it's just it's just a drip feed for requisition points. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. So let's talk about deception in general as a mechanic in games. Um, is there anything in Ruse that you would 
because it's being imported into other game designs, because Ruse is really unique. I mean, the entire design of the game is around the title. It's around finding a way to hide information, to control information from your opponent. My, I have an upcoming column in PC Gamer that I'm hammering out about this whole idea of how, you know, even if strategy is about generally about whether you can outproduce the enemy, battles are about controlling the immediate information. Battles right. are about showing, making sure you know where your forces are and where his forces are and that he doesn't know anything about that. Yeah. Uh, and very few games, very few war games do this well beyond the whole uh, fog of war type thing, which just doesn't have at all. So it's a really unique approach to the whole idea of control of information. Is there any way we can build from this, any lessons we can draw from Bruce and what that says about games and battle intelligence? Well, I mean... I think the first the first thing we should begin with discussing is this idea, and not many games have really used it, um, this idea of imperfect or incomplete information. And this is something that it's, you know, you say it, it sounds obvious, but a lot of games just turn it into a simple binary state. You see the unit or you don't, and it's invisible. Um, what I like is that Ruse, just by creating this intermediate state of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, you know, completely changes the way you play the game. And it's a simple change, but I think that's the first thing we could see a lot more of is just, you know, give the player a taste of information. Let him know just enough to be dangerous to himself. Um, <laughs> but force him to work to get actionable intelligence. Right. Well, once again, I mean, we bring up this game a lot because it's just so awesome. The best war game ever made, that's Combat Mission, which had, in many ways, incomplete information. You would hear sounds. Yes. And you'd even get a little icon. You hear a heavy sound over there. Now, if the, if the heavy tank appears suddenly over in a different direction, you have to ask yourself, is that the same heavy sound yes. I heard? Or is that something else altogether? Mm-hmm. And I think Combat Mission was, I mean, it's a much more heavy game uh, than Ruse is. But it captured, I think, perfectly that idea that on a battlefield, you have to be aware of everything. And you have to actually count. Um, not count up points, but count see where people are coming from and could that have been the sound you heard um and that's not always easy in the panic of battle things go wrong uh what ruse does though differently which i think it makes it so revolutionary is that it gives the general the player and and makes them an active participant in the creation of that knowledge in the creation of that misinformation it's not just did I hear that? Did I not? What do I see? What do I not see? But I can completely mask the battlefield. I can make you believe something that isn't true. And very few games, I think, and strategy, uh, war games, uh, really go to that next level. Have you create you know, wooden cannons and tarp tanks uh, to fool the enemy into thinking something else is going on? And I can't think of any other game that's really done that quite so effectively well not effectively at all and, and maybe what would be even more satisfying would be if 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 it felt like those ruses those deceptions were actually somehow the result of my actions right i mean part right. of the part of the reason why i think it, it falls a little flat for me is i'm just buying these deceptions or i'm just right. buying the spy or i'm just and, buying and the camouflage and, and, and they're, they're they're from a deck so it's like going into dominion and buying a village you don't feel it, like you're building a village Exactly, exactly. And so so I'm definitely making an investment, but right. it doesn't feel like ah, I did something really well, and because of that, they believe that my tanks are over in the corner when they're actually over on the hill. 
Right. I think I think that's problematic because uh, you know I'm thinking to other games where we always like the idea of showing a feint to the enemy, right. but the moment you actually put the player in charge of creating that false intelligence, um, I, you know, it's just that is that is a really tricky problem because first of all, you know, there's there's the there's the problem of you know task overload. Um, it's enough right. to keep it's enough to keep your army going and you know manage that and keep your economy going. But, and then to ask them to build the tarp tanks and but it, you know. but it's a but it's something that we you know it's something that's extraordinarily hard to do in games other than video games being played online, right? right. So if there was a place for these kinds of true deception tactics, it would be online. I mean, some of the best war game experiences I've ever have have been uh, mediated blind games where you have boards set up in two different rooms and a GM who runs between the two rooms. That's true. Parsing information back and forth. They're incredibly labor intensive, but by far they're the most satisfying gaming experiences I've ever had. Um, You know, you don't with, with a computer, if you're sitting in Boston and I'm sitting here in Western Massachusetts, Right. That that's automatic. Right. We're totally used to fog of war now. So it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch. I feel like Ruse just sort of whets my appetite for what could be there. That's definitely true. Um, you know, I want to draw your attention to, um, you know, Rock, Paper, Shotgun did sort of an opinion roundup on Ruse um, and a bunch of them were discussing the game. And I think they they got something really important about the Ruses themselves. And that's that, you know, for a, for a game that took its name from these deception cards, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's no getting around the the fact that their effects are a little underwhelming, uh, and part of it is part of it is that that sense I think that you just played a card, but you didn't actually do anything, and right. you just you've just placed a status effect on somebody. You placed a hex on their intelligence officer. Um, but the other the other thing is that you know what the rock paper shotgun guys were, were getting at is that ruse cards aren't going to completely turn the game around like ultimately it's still going to hinge on tactics and which units you build and what counters you employ right what ruse cards what ruse cards do is you know they give you that little that little boost over the top in a close engagement but what they usually is they often often buy you time which is what i found they're useful for um they give you that few a few extra seconds to send the enemy in a different direction, uh, to hide your dispositions on a certain front because you've camouflaged that area. But they're really time buyers more than actual true deception in most cases. There are right. some exceptions. But that you know, you know, just but that fe- feeds back to the pacing of this game that we discussed earlier. Um, in a few cases, you know that that time that 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 time does become decisive. Right. Um, yep. Yeah, I'll just use the radio silence ruse as an example. If you can make a large force disappear as it's passing through a territory on its way to the enemy base, you know, just for a couple minutes, that that force doesn't exist unless he can actually physically see it. The pacing of this game is such that when that force reemerges, your enemy will still have time. He'll still have warning, right. but it won't be enough to do anything effective about it. Right. And and this because there is the sort of real dance of forces here is, is incredibly important. 
Um, and almost to the point where it almost felt exaggerated, right? I mean, infantry is incredibly effective against anti-tanks, right? Anti-tank guns are incredibly effective against heavy armor. There's a real strong rock, paper, scissors thing. Yeah, going on exactly. And because of that, if you're fielding a mixed force, say running up a canyon or something like that, um, you know, and, and you're just a little behind the eight ball when you actually get to the engagement and you get discovery of what's at your enemy's front line. And all of a sudden you thought that there was, uh, you know, just grenadiers coming at you. And actually there's, you know, three panzers in front and you really kind of need to take care of those first. Simply shuffling the order of your troops, you know, in the line in the canyon. If you do that ham handedly, you'll lose. Right. Yeah. So while it, it does have this this almost sort of, you know, balletic quality to the to the pacing, um, when when push really comes to shove, if you make a few misclicks, you lose. That's in all games, right? Well, <laughs> you're a loser. Uh, well, I mean, I guess is that I is that a, is that a bad thing? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I actually think that's one of the more interesting things about it. I think, you know, of the things that this game gets really right, um, I think it gets the pacing really right. And I think it gets that that access to information layer sort of moving in and out really right. Those feel great. Um, And, you know, my my, everything else is sort of quibbles. And and for me, those quibbles were sort of enough that it's not sitting at the top of my playlist at the moment. Right. Right. So, um, Julian, you went on and didn't find many people playing this. Uh, not during not during East Coast day hours at the moment, right? That was this week's my, my experience this week, right? You know, yeah, I've, and, I've, and it, it is you know this game we 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 should acknowledge right we're in a, we're in a little bit of a a glut of good strategy games, which isn't a, a problem we often have in the last eighty something shows, right? We've had we've had StarCraft two, and then we've had Ruse, and then we've had this sort of pile right on top of each other, and so it's very easy for me to imagine PC strategy gamers sitting here and making choices about which game yeah. they're going to buy, and then right. once they even have them, they have to make the choice about which game to play. Uh, and this week, people had all three games at their disposal. I think people know which way they were voting. Yeah, Patrician Four, and that came out today. <laughs> and Victoria and Two, those were the clear winners. Yeah, yesterday Patrician Four, not nonstop. You know, so so Civ came out, big deal. Patrician Four, all the way. Um, so yet, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really been a bonanza year for strategy games if you think about it. It's been. Real when it comes to I have to give my flashy out at the end of the year. I've got to think of a better name for that. Uh, for the best strategy game of the year, I mean, it's going to be a tough call. Uh, there are a lot of really good games that came out this year. I need to spend more time with Ruse uh, on Rob's recommendation and see if it measures up. But I mean, right now, looking out there, I have even though I gave it, you know, think people think B plus is a bad score. Civ four, Civ five, certainly going to be an up there. Starcraft two. And Supreme Commander too. I mean, those are the big three right now who are for fighting for my uh, prize right now at the moment. Um, and uh, Elemental, because it could get be fixed by December, and I judge in December. So who knows? It'll go through eighty <laughs> patches. Elemental will go through eighty patches and be fixed by December and be the best game of the year, and also be the disappointment of the year. It'll be weird. Um, so it's it has been a good year, and I wish that you know Roos had Roos has been delayed a couple of times. I'm not sure if Ubisoft really know when to launch it. I'm not sure if it was a good time to launch it. If it was even finished. Well, I mean, that's what I want to ask you. I mean, is this? I mean, was Ruse sent to die? I don't think so. I mean, because they've put a lot of marketing into Ruse to begin with. Now, 
lately I haven't seen a lot about it. But when Roos was shown at uh, E3 a couple of years ago, there was a big push behind it. You don't two years dig ago out it was one huge, of the, yeah, yeah. You don't dig out one of those ten thousand dollar Microsoft tables to show off a game you don't care about. Yeah, I mean, so there was a lot of power uh, behind Roos and showing it, and the presentation was well done in an accent I partially comprehended over the din of E3, um, and it was certainly a game that a lot of people were excited about. But it has come out in this really weird window between StarCraft II and Civ V, um, just before Civ V. Uh, really, it's when people are wondering why we're not doing Civ V this week. Well, because we have to talk about Ruse. We can't not talk about Ruse. And this is the only time we could actually do that um, properly. And plus, we have to get our guests playing Civ V uh, for next week. But as I'd out to die is an interesting way to put it, but I think it's more it was there's no good place for it. It's not a game that actually you can sell well. And I think it's a big problem we've talked about with strategy games in general. How do you market a new strategy game? And, and a new strategy game that's not a Me Too strategy game. New and right. unique, right? I mean, yeah. it's you can market a new strategy game by saying, it's just like StarCraft II, right? right? If you're in a dead zone, plenty of games have done that. Uh, but this really is a very unique experience. I can't I mean, the closest thing it feels like, honestly, in some ways, is Sins of a Solar Empire, but but yep. that's really just in terms of feel and right. polish, not in terms of gameplay. But you and, know, that and, might and, be... and, and Sins too, it was done by us by a mid-sized publisher for average budget, not a AAA publisher like Ubisoft. So you know, it had its own fans built up through word of mouth. Its marketing campaign, it, Sins didn't have this huge marketing push that Ruse did. Right. And then being you know left aside, Sins was you know it had Stardock's uh, loyal uh, followers, and it had just I mean it's a game that you, you heard about because your friends wouldn't shut up about it, right? And that's why I ended up making this huge profit. So, but I just you know I feel that that's the, that's a really good comparison though between between this and Sins of a Solar Empire because you know for me I mean this is. You know, not to preach, but you know, I hear I hear so much complaint about you know everything being derivative, um, rehashed games, rehashed designs. You know, not another one of these. Um, and with Ruse, I kind of feel like it's getting it's getting lost in the shuffle of people revisiting games they already know they like, rather than you know taking yeah. a tra- taking, I, that's totally know, fair. That's totally fair. New. And the other thing, the other thing that drives me absolutely insane is the fact that complaining about World War II has become a substitute for having something real to say about a game. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Amen, brother. Amen, brother. You know, I mean, there are there are so many reviews where they either had to start apologizing on behalf of Roos. Like, okay, this is about World War II. I'm so sorry it's about World War II, but it's a really good RTS. Um, or there are people who just dinged it. Um, for the fact, one of my favorite moments of the Games for Windows podcast was Sean Elliott reading opening sentences from World War II game reviews, and they all started the same. Right. Yeah. They started complaining. In fact, he read a sentence from one of my reviews, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was good. I thought he it's off. I don't know it was yours. Well, you could have read the Vedlum byline. It doesn't matter. You were right anyway. Yeah. So of course, I mean, yeah, I, I, I fall, we've all fallen into this sort of thing. Yeah, you can't just attack a game for its setting anymore. I mean, yes, World War II is popular. We know that. We know it's big. You get tired of it. But there's so many different ways to do it, and this is such an original way. It's an original game in a theme you think you're tired of. 
And the gamers keep saying they want mechanics. They care about mechanics. They care about gameplay. Uh, this is gameplay. Um, you may be tired of Rommel, but this is gameplay if you want it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know, and it's it's not really just about Rommel. Like, I mean, what what I love is that this is such a break with the RTS. I mean, when I was playing it, the games I kept thinking about were games like you know, Panzer General or what I, what I was really thinking about was the Perfect General. Do you remember that game? Yep. Nope. Never played it. Oh, it was it was a really nifty game. It fired. I, I think I think that was a total sleeper hit back in the day, Troy. I'm it not, I'm not it, sure. it was. I, I I couldn't fire Julian. He he shows up. That's, that's <laughs> oh, my greatest qualification is <laughs> punctual. But but I, you know the you know a game like the Perfect General back in the day, it was this really neat like it was a solid war game, but it wasn't one that was married to any particular setting or historical minutia. Like it was just fascinated in the way. Um, anti-tank battled tank the way aircraft battled you know anti-aircraft it was interesting in these matchups across different eras and it abstracted all of them ruse strikes me in the same vein where it's got all the things we're used to from a really good war game mm-hmm. um, all sorts of room for interesting tactics and finding new ways to combine the effects of these units mm-hmm. but it does so in a way that I think is really approachable. It's not like combat mission where, or Octung Panzer, where you're going to open up an information panel and see like armor slope and thickness, you know, rated on the tanks. Like it's not going to scare the bejesus out of you with detail, um, but all all the substance of a great war game um, is pretty much present and accounted for in this design, in you know the guise of an RTS, and I and I just love that somebody went ahead and made a game like that. On that moment of evangelism, uh, we will leave Ruse and move on uh, to talk about next week's show. I haven't played, played enough Ruse to give a firm opinion on it. I hope to put some in this week and uh, blog about it later next week. Next week's show is the Big Civilization Five show, uh, which will be a supersized show because I'm a huge Civ nerd. I've always been a huge Civ nerd. And it's a show that, that's a game that deserves a lot of time. And we hope to have a larger panel. Uh, Tom says he'll be here next week, which will be great. And he can. We're not going to talk about his review. We're not going to talk about reviews. We're going to talk about the game. I already uh, hated it. He didn't hate it. He's, his complaints are the same as mine, only he weights them differently. More or less. Exactly. And our, we will be joined by a special guest and dear friend of the show and all of us, uh, Mr. Jeff Green, who was there around for the invention of the wheel and is therefore the perfect person uh, to join us in our talk about civilization. So uh, please uh, tune in then. We hope to have that up next week. And thank you for listening to about Ruse. Pick it up. Uh, there will be links to Rob's review and the rock, paper, shotgun discussion on the blog, on the post on Flash of Studio related to this show. Any last words? Bye, Ruse. Crickets. Bye, Ruse. There you go. <laughs> Say good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night.